Welcome to LLP, a podcast for lawyers. Each week, we cover a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, we're talking about determination. We're asking ourselves and an expert, how can we motivate ourselves to achieve great things? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hi, Darlene. Hi, Darlene. Hi, Darlene. Good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm so excited about this podcast. I'm also very excited. That's why I said hello to you three times with great enthusiasm. uh, Because not only do we have a great topic today, which I'm excited to talk about, but we have somebody who knows way more about it than we do. Way more. And we'll get to who it is, but an accomplished athlete, world-class, top of of her game, um, medalist at the Olympics, uh, and wonderful person, and somebody I went to law school with. Uh, who's a, who's a brilliant mind as well. So uh, I think a perfect person to talk about how determination and focus and motivation can can help us in our everyday lives and as well, uh, you know, help us achieve great stuff. Okay, so our wonderful guest is Deidre Dion. Uh, it's easy to say she's basically just a superhero. Uh, raised as you were, Darlene, in Red Deer, Alberta. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say anything about that? Just where all good things happen. <laughs> <laughs> the center of the universe. <laughs> Really came on the scene. So, so, so her bit is aerial freestyle skiing. Came on the scene in 99. Won her first World Cup medal at that point, followed by seven more during her career. 2001 FIS World Freestyle Ski Bronze. 2002 Salt Lake City Olympic Bronze Medal. 20,000 people chanting her name. Incredible. Then medaled again in the World Freestyle Ski 20, 2013. And then in 2005... Her story takes a turn, which I think actually just speaks so volumes and everybody does about, about her. 2005 had a training accident and and broke her neck. And this is a year plus-ish before the turn Olympics. And so, uh, at, you know, I think a doctor said at one point, one to two millimeters from quadriplegic, just incredible stuff. And Deidre made it back to 2006 to actually compete in the turn games. And I'm so excited to talk to her about how she at all motivated herself to get to that point. 2009, she was forced to retire, unfortunately, because of a medical issue. But then the plus side, 2010, met me, Mike Anderson, which obviously is, I'm sure she'll talk about us as her career highlight, uh, at law school at University of Ottawa. Uh, And I was so uh, glad to share some projects and classes with Deidre. 2013, article to the Bay Street Firm, and now is in business affairs at Sportsnet. And so everybody, welcome Deidre Dion. That was quite the intro. I'm I'm feeling pretty special this morning. That, well, that you are nice. very special. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We always start with small talk. How's your day? My day is good. I uh, biked into work this morning, so feeling fresh and ready for what is a Friday, which is always the best thing. I think that's why we record on Friday, darling, because it's just generally a wonderful day. It is. Yes. And we always usually hear a, a story about Mike's dog, Rosie, that is up to always exciting things. Rosie is asleep on the couch in front of me right now. She is. So, so she's there's no more knee injuries or running away or killing squirrels. She's just being a sleeping dog. And that's the dog update for this morning for you. Dog watch. For she's all, just everybody cooperating with dog watch. She's creating a nice Zen calm vibe for our interview. Yeah, I think she wanted to catch it too. She wanted to hear what Deidre had to say. So, so I think um, 
we can get to it a little bit. So, uh, Deidre, you know, we, we talk on this podcast basically about Darlene has this incredible blog series for folks in the profession about how to make sure that you're doing a thing that you love and that you can forge your own path and, and get to a place where you're really uh, a, a happy, productive person professionally and, and personally as well. So I think that that kind of works really well with the topic today because to get to a place where you are passionate about what you're doing and uh, all that, you need to be determined and you need to make sure that, um, you know, as we talked about last podcast, that you're, you know, you're going your own way and you're listening to your own voice. So how, when did that start for you? I guess we can focus maybe first on aerial freestyle. When did you know that that was the thing that you wanted to dedicate yourself to? And, you know, a thing that really would, would be such a big part of your life for such a long time. Well, I didn't start, I started skiing very young, but I didn't actually start freestyle skiing till I was 13. And I'd say pretty quickly, I, I was lucky enough to be a legacy of the 88 games in the sense that I was six and it was in Calgary. So it was in my backyard. So that Olympic dream was there pretty young. I don't know if I had the sport, um, for much of my youth, but I played everything. And then, um, at 13, 12, 13, I went and tried freestyle skiing and that instantly captured my attention. It, it required, um, it required me to be on edge at all times and it frightened me and gave me confidence with every single time, um, I went off a jump and, and that, that really seeded the, okay, this is a sport and this is something that I could be good at. And I think I saw an interview at one point. Um, one of your coaches said at the beginning you were awful. <laughs> is yeah. that true? Or well, it's funny. Like that—that that was actually my Olympic coach, and um, I came into a sport that was heavily filled with gymnasts uh, in a changing time in Olympic sport, where in 2002 was kind of the shift where we started to count medals and, and countries were really looking to the Olympics to prove the value and what their investment was. So um, I was awful when you look at it through the lens of uh, somebody that hadn't flipped my whole life. I wasn't a gymnast growing up and, and I grew up on skis, which is not the norm in freestyle skiing aerials today, where it's far easier to teach um, a lifelong gymnast to go flying off a jump on skis and, and stop at the bottom than it is to teach a skier how to go upside down and flip and twist. So from a, a technical standpoint, I was certainly awful, but um, what what was always my strength and, and I'd say is continuously my strength in life is um, I'm, I was incredibly res- resilient and incredibly mentally strong. Yes. And this is why. So... So interesting to hear you say tell your own story because um, when I hear you tell the story about the resilience, even to just for lawyers listening to this, for for someone to be told at some point, you know, Mike and I talk a lot on this podcast about getting A's on your report card as a big motivator for lawyers and people who go to law school, and essentially what what that coach was saying was you're different than what we usually see, you know, you don't have an A coming right out of the gate. And you were able to go and do it anyway, and then get to the top of the world doing things like from a different starting point. Um, is that just resilience, or do you have another drive there that that makes you able to do that? Well, I think 
no has never been an answer that sits well with me. Um, my parents knew that at a pretty young age. So by telling me no, I'm probably just going to dig my feet into the ground. Um, so, so maybe hearing that is instead of discouraging me, it was a motivator. And perhaps he knew me well enough to put that out in the world to truly motivate me. That was going into the 2000, 2002 Olympics. And that's what he said in my Olympians profile for the world to hear. So, um, you know, I probably from a young age was motivated by people saying I couldn't do it, which um, encouraged me to to prove that I probably belonged or that I could be. So maybe that's a middle child syndrome of two brothers. I don't know. But um, as as far as as that athlete being able to take negative feedback and turn it into something positive. I think that that's truly something that sport taught me at a very young age, that there are people that are out there every day and they're not trying to discourage me as much as they show up every day to make my dreams come true. And sometimes that comes with feedback that maybe I don't want to hear, but it's going to help me take that leap forward. So, um, being able to take that step back and say, okay, why am I getting this feedback and how is this going to help me develop is, is something that um, I've tried to continue in my professional life. And I think it's been a, a big asset. And that's, that's very fascinating. So, cause I'm interested in the, maybe if you could start, if you walk us through the time between 99, where you, so to speak, hit the world stage, and then the 2002 Olympics are upcoming and you have these people who you know, as you've said, their job is to support you and bring you along. And there's obviously a lot of pressure mentally and physically. What what was the hardest part about getting ready for 2002 for you? The hardest part for me in 2002 was the Olympics were, they were an unknown. I'd never been to the Olympics. I'd watched them on TV. I dreamt of being in them, but I didn't actually know what it was going to be like to be at the Olympics and what that would feel like from a pressure standpoint, from a, a nervous, from a, a logistics standpoint, all of that was completely unknown. So it was truly preparing for for every contingency and being able to be resilient enough in each of those moments to know that if it doesn't go according to plan, that's okay. Um, all that really, really mattered on that day was the three seconds that I had to perform. And, and just being able to flow in and out mentally with focus and, and belief and nervousness and anxiety and just being able to flow from each feeling um, to the other and, and not get stuck on any of them and just let it, let it go until that one moment where I actually had to be present and had to perform. Yeah, that's. I'm just hearing you say three seconds is like it still boggles my mind. All those years and all the effort and, and all of it comes down to you. I think you said twenty thousand people chanting your name, about to go down a hill. Um, how you know? How do you? How did you focus yourself and 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 make yourself present even though you had all this noise and pressure around you? Well, mental training, I would say in most sport today is just as important as the physical training. Like you look around at, and especially at something as, as high of a caliber as the Olympics. And there isn't a big difference between the best and the people that don't walk away with medals. And so really you're trying to 
train yourself to be physically the best, technically the best, but mentally is probably the most overlooked aspect of high performance sport and, and what it takes to actually be able to channel whatever emotion you're feeling in that moment. And for me at those Olympic games, it was definitely, it was most certainly uh, nerves and, and just knowing um, I was doing a jump that was very new to me and I hadn't competed or I had competed once, but never landed in competition. So being able to have that belief and, and just using breathing techniques and visualization and relaxation, and then just letting your body do what it was supposed to do. I mean, the mind is a, a very powerful tool and, and, um, I was certainly guilty of overthinking a lot. So I can, I can say at those Olympics, it was really nice to just take that deep breath in and just let my brain relax and my body do everything that, like you said, it was years of preparation. And in Olympic sport, you truly only have a few seconds in certain events every four years. And, and it wasn't that I wasn't performing well every weekend. It's just the eyes of the world focus on that one day. And, uh, and I was able to to raise to my ability on in that moment. And where is the medal now? Uh, the medal is on a book stand at my house. My parents had it forever. They used to joke that um, they paid for it so they get to keep it. <laughs> but I think it's just because I have a tendency to be a little absent-minded with my stuff. So, uh, so yeah, we, um, my parents kept it for a while, but most recently, it's it's in our house in, in the office on a bookshelf. Comes in a beautiful case, so it's in a in a beautiful oak book. You'd have to hope it'd, it'd be a good case. Yeah, and, well, yeah. Not every Olympics <laughs> gives a case, but in Salt Lake City, every Olympics is different. So every medal is different. Every uh, Olympic is is different. Right, and so and then this is the the point in the story where things were unexpected, and so after you win the bronze in two thousand five, you're doing a training run, and that's where you you hurt yourself and you injure your neck, um, and so that obviously occurs, and then you have something in front of you which is turns in twenty or two thousand six. Obviously, it was something you were interested in. How did you motivate motivate yourself to go through all of that rehab, all of the training? you know, all the, the mental anguish to get to that point, what was the driver? Um, and what was your North star? How did you make it? How did you make that happen? That was a very emotionally taxing time, I would say for me, because in a sport where you do go flying off ski jumps to like 40 or 60 feet in the air, you need to have some type of invincibility, um, belief. And, it was it was five months before the the turn Olympics in two thousand six, and I had committed to three and a half years of of training towards not being in a position to be at the top to hope for a medal, but to be in a position standing at the top to win the gold medal, and and that was the motivator going to an, another Olympics. It wasn't to it was to win, and so when that injury happened, it was de- devastating on many levels. I mean. Obviously, it was terrifying to my family and I to know that um, in a split second, your life could potentially change. And that was a bit of a burden for, I'd say, my family and in moving forward. And then for me, just to know that all of that hard work could be for naught and, and laying in that hospital bed thinking, 
you know, this isn't, this isn't necessarily fair. And then coming back from that, it, it, it was almost harder because with the neck injury, it isn't like a blown ACL where you have to go to rehab and spend hours in physio and have exercises to do. There was, there was nothing I could do. I could just wait and waiting and doing nothing was probably the most difficult thing for me in that moment, knowing that everybody else was getting better and training towards um, that same goal as I had to stand up there and, and win the next Olympics. So uh, it, it truly was one day at a time and, and asking myself every moment in every second of those days, is this going to help me with what my goal is? And that was to stand at the top of the run in 2006. And, and if, the answer was no, feeling sorry for myself and, and eating junk food on the couch isn't going to help, then I would find myself doing the only thing I was allowed to do, which was walk. So I walked a lot of kilometers during those three months that I was um, unable to actually do any real training. But, uh, but I found, I'd say, a new acceptance of the fact that maybe winning isn't always the point and sometimes the journey and and just reaching that goal is is something that you can be proud of and I didn't get there lightly um it took underperforming at those games and coming home and and really truly feeling like I hadn't accomplished anything and and hearing the perspective of so many Canadians and family and friends that were were proud of that journey um to get there but but now um with many, many years looking back, I can honestly say that journey towards that result to standing up on the hill in that moment and doing the trick that I was terrified to do at that games um, is something I'm far more proud to have accomplished than having everything work out the way I wanted, like it did in Salt Lake City. Well, that's what I was going to say, because I think, you know, this, we talk a lot also on this podcast about and Mike and I are generally interested in these issues of, you know, society says one thing is great. And then the truth is that other things are also great. And we talk about those a lot here. So um, for me, that is one of the more compelling things about your story. And honestly, it's it's more inspiring to me, really, um, because it's some I really think no one else has had that experience. You know, that's a very unique experience you've had. It's so courageous to get up there in the 2006 games after that injury, especially when with such a mental sport. I mean, I'm a, I did figure skating on a very, very non-world-class level <laughs> as a young person. And I know the idea of, of trying a jump in a competition that you've never landed before. And the idea of doing that at the Olympics, I just, I mean, for anyone who hasn't done that, that's beyond courageous also. Um, but what I'm, I'm very interested in how you went to law school after that here in the legal profession, there's a lot of play on the idea that we're very stressed and doing very difficult things. What's your take on that? Having done some, you know, just from the story on the podcast so far, obviously you've done some of the most difficult and intimidating things that anyone will ever do in life. How does that compare? Do you ever feel stressed as a lawyer or is it all just very easy by comparison in your day-to-day? -day? I, I, of course I feel stress. I mean, I don't think you'd be human if you didn't feel some capacity of stress. Um, I think my years of training as 
as an athlete helped me identify coping mechanisms probably far earlier than um, I I would be capable of otherwise. So I can I can feel when I need to go for a walk or when I need to to like sweat hard to just have that um, have that sweat session just to relieve some of that tension. But um, yeah, I mean, just like anyone else, I'm, I'm in a professional career now that, that is sometimes extremely stressful and sometimes um, very difficult to navigate. And, and I think one of the things that I try to do, which um, was always tough for me in sport, but continues to kind of I, I try and remind myself is there's not a lot of value in looking back unless it's to take something to move forward. So spending time um, thinking about a decision that was made yesterday or uh, reliving a conversation that maybe you wish had gone differently is, isn't valuable unless it's, you know, a, a lesson learned and I'm moving, I learned this and I'm moving forward for the next time. So yeah, I mean, stress is, is, always a difficult thing to to deal with and um it's you know everyone talks about balance but balance is a, a funny achievable concept that is different for everyone and no one can really tell you what the right balance is for you it's something that you kind of have to try and trial and error for yourself and do you feel like you have found that balance between your work and do you still train in your off hours well, I, I know you guys mentioned passion at the start. You know, how do you do something? It, it's it's funny because as an Olympic athlete, everyone tells you they were so passionate for their sport. And that's something that so many athletes struggle with when they transition from sport into life outside of sport is, how am I ever going to be passionate about something like I was about sport? And I think that that's such a tricky word because if you had checked in with me in the height of my athletic days, I wouldn't have told you that I loved every day. It wasn't that I loved getting up at 5 a.m. to drive to an airport for a 30-hour travel day to then start again um, for another week and then move on. I didn't love uh, being injured and having a sore back and sore knees and having to compete anyways. But there was this overriding knowledge that I was doing something that fulfilled my competitive need, that fulfilled my desire to um, get better every day, that fulfilled my need to learn something new and to have a linear goal and and take those steps forward. So I try not to look at life outside of sport as, am I passionate about what I do every single day? Because I don't think that's a fair um, measuring stick for a career. I think it's more, am I getting the attributes that are important to me as a human being in the various things that I do, some in my career, some um, in my hobbies and spare time, or some in extracurricular activities that I volunteer for. And so it would say, um, yes, I, I have a pretty solid balance that I'm comfortable with, but it's not as, as, single-mindedly consuming as it was in sport, it's broader and I'd say it's probably healthier in some aspects because if something is stressful or not going well, then there's other buckets that are fulfilling me in other aspects of life. I love it. And I think you're 
reminding us to clarify this passion point, because I agree, and I think we've talked about it a little bit here, but it's not about enjoying every second of every day. But I, I like what you said about there's an arc, you know, there's sort of an arc, and it's about fulfillment, really. So if you're doing something, and it's hard, and difficult, or you're for younger lawyers listening to this, they're learning, they, they still, it's not fun to not know what you're doing at the beginning of law, even if it's for sure the right career for us, you know. Um, and I think there is this overplayed sort of notion that if you're not happy, then you're, you're doing the wrong thing. And that's one of the, I'm writing about happiness in the legal career right now. And I'm realizing as I, as I get through the blog series that it's actually more about fulfillment and just feeling like it's worth it if you have those bad days. So you're, you know, you're getting up at 5am, you're driving to a cold mountain. Um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not this, this joyous thing every day, but the arc is joy and it's heading to somewhere that you want to go. And same with law, I guess, is, is what you're saying is that as you continue to grow in your practice, you're, you're building more skills and filling out those sides of the personality or the, the skill set that maybe you didn't have to work as much on in athletics and using them to kind of, I use the word cross pollinate, but I'm sure there's, there's probably a better word. Mike is better at vocabulary. Do you have a better word? No, I use the word dovetail this morning. And I don't like that either. So, dovetail, Deidre, do you have a better word? <laughs> no, I, yeah, those are those. Well, yeah, there's no. It's it's tough, right? We love talking about words uh, on this podcast too. The thing, the thing that interests me with this, Deidre, when we start like, and we're talking about the passion point and the challenge issue and all that. Uh, when when off the top, when we were talking about what drew you to the sport from the outset, you said it was something that kept you on edge frightened you a little bit. And then later on, we talked about the Olympics, that the biggest challenge was the unknown. And that really comes down to like, a lot of this is mental. And, and, and that sounds a lot to me like the way I felt when I started law school and started to practice the profession where I was on edge. And I was frightened and I didn't know what was going to happen. And I did overthink things. And um, that is in all that being the case, that is all, those things also drew me to the profession because I wanted a challenge and I wanted something that was constantly going to be um, something that I could, you know, use my mind to solve problems and so on. So is there something there between kind of the push and pull of, of something that satisfies you and drives you, but then also has those, those downsides? Is that just something that we need to accept with a, a so to speak passion? Well, I think that's interesting because I think there's various phases through any career. And and when I started freestyle, I'd say it's very similar to, yes, when you kind of start that new um, adventure towards going to law school and, and you're going to classes and your mind is expanding and you're thinking of things differently. And when I started skiing, it was that that push and pull of that fear and, and that confidence. Um, and then as you get better at things, you have less of that. So it, it was it was interesting because I had gotten really good at being really good in my sport. I had 10 years where I was one of the best in the world and I had people catering to my needs and, and people there to make me better. And when I shifted back to school, I had to really channel 13-year-old Deidre that was willing to work really hard for a goal, that was willing to risk a whole bunch just to see what would happen. So I think, you know, as you go through your career and you you kind of hit those hiccups of 
is this still fulfilling me or am I motivated? Maybe it's because you're better in a different phase where you like that excitement. You need to have that newness. You need to have that motivation that comes with that drive for something different and fulfilling. Or maybe you're really good at perfecting and you like being at that comfortable top position and you don't want to go back into something that would be new. And and I think it's just that self-awareness of of where you perform at your best. That's such a good point because I have learned that and um, a lot of different ways, but I like building. I'm a builder. I like to do new things, build, see where it goes, innovate. I like, I'm very comfortable in gray. That's sort of a, a place that I, I like to be. And so when I work with creators or startups, um, technology companies, entertainment industry, it's always building something new. There are there are fixed elements to it, but I really love that the change all the time. And so that's why for me, it's been very comfortable to go from a big firm to an in-house role to uh, starting my own thing. Um, and it always changes. Whereas I think you're absolutely right. Some, some lawyers and, and people just generally aren't comfortable with new because it's it's, I don't know, maybe they have more new outside their career or something like the whole balanced life that they're leading. Maybe they get that somewhere else, whereas I tend to get it more in my career. Um, very good point. Mike, do you feel like you've got those phases in your career so far? Uh, I think, yeah, I definitely see phases in my career emerging. I'm sure that, well, hopefully there'll be many more. Um, I think, and, and if I had a, I think I'm starting to learn that I'm like a gardener. Like I liked, if you're a bit, <laughs> Is that a weird thing to say? No. <laughs> like I like to. I'm waiting to hear how you explain it. I like Tending to like uh, tend the garden and and kind of. Um, uh, so I don't need to create it, uh, but I do like to make sure that everything is um, is trending in the right direction. I like to and and kind of like I'm a. I like to fill on the back end side. Like I don't need to be front end anything. I just like to get the substance right. I suppose something like that. I I. I I'm probably not explaining myself well at all, but I think I'm learning that about myself. You like to make it pretty, but not plant the garden. So once the flowers are up, I don't need to. If I plant it, that's I could plant it. That's cool. Then I could choose the what I'm planting. But in the end, I I more care about the success of the garden. I suppose is I suppose is what I'm saying. And I and I like you know I want to be a part of it season over season. I think that's the thing. Hmm. I don't know. What about you, Deidre? Ah, uh, you know I I think I'm more comfortable. Once I, I don't think I'm as much of a risk taker as people would think because of my sport. I think I'm, I'm comfortable once I'm confident in a situation. So that initial jump to, and, and I've had a a career change recently and are just like a movement. And I'd say that that initial unknown is, is exciting but not my comfort zone so I like once I'm I'm in that really that growth phase so I really like the learning and the making mistakes is I'm okay with making mistakes um I I like to then have that then help build me as as a person so I get bored once I get into the um the mundane so if I'm if I'm getting too much of the same and it's just maintenance I get distracted. Yes. I'm the same. Maybe it was something in the water in Red Deer. Back to Red Deer. It's always about Red Deer with you, Darlene. 
<laughs> it really is never, uh, it doesn't come up very often, but I do think it's an interesting like six degrees of separation that Mike and I are on this podcast. We both have um, a connection with, with Deidre from a different angle. And uh, anyway, it's just so interesting to hear this. I, I knew there was a crossover between the athletic and the, and the legal side, but it's actually, uh, it's just a life lesson, really. It's, this is useful for anybody to hear other than um, just lawyers. But. Totally. And to, Deidre, to totally put you on the spot, I usually do this dar- to Darlene when we wrap up a topic. But if you had to give like a couple notes to somebody who's looking to um, improve their uh, how, how they can be in, put rigor into their life or become motivated like you do when people say no, what, what, do you, what would you tell somebody who wants to learn from, from a person like you who's practiced discipline and, and rigor so much in your life? Well, the first thing I'd say is like define your own successes because you're never going to be motivated if it's somebody else's success that you're trying to achieve. So like, what do you actually want? And if it's something that you feel and want to achieve, then, then the easiest place is to work backwards. So, you know, I don't, I, I'm just like everyone else. I would rather sit on the couch, watch Netflix and eat chips but I know three hours after that happens, I'm going to feel pretty gross. So I always end up asking myself, okay, well, once I finish, I'll feel better. And then it's like, okay, well, I might as well start. Because that, that dialogue in my head is only going to be negative. And, and, um, and so same thing with to-do lists. You know, you can, you can procrastinate and procrastinate. But at the end of the day, you got to get it done anyway. So you might as well just stop thinking about it and start. And then once you start something, it's a lot easier and you're in it, then it gets done. But it's just that that first initial step that is seems always to be the challenge. So um, I try and think of it from the backward, backward side of it. It's like like backwards day, opposite day. Yeah. Start. How good am I going to feel when it's over? I'm going to feel better than if I put it off again and still continue thinking about this. (laughs) Perfect. Okay. That's such a great way to sum it up. And thank you for that. So you're going to join us after the break to do goods and gripes and and so on. But uh, but first, we're going to get to the break. So uh, here it is, everybody. Uh, We'll be right back. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law, experienced legal counsel, when and where you need us. How convenient. To learn more about Interalia, visit the website spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thanks so much. And we are back, as always, to offer our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote. Uh, we think are good or great. <laughs> gripes are things that uh, uh, we find annoying, and we like to to complain about them. So, um, and Deidre's going to join us. Deidre, do you have a good or gripe for that you'd like to share? I guess I have a gripe because I, I biked into work this morning and love doing that. It sets my mind up, but I, I just... I can't handle people on the bike share bikes that don't have helmets and don't follow the traffic laws or the bike laws or bike etiquette and just are constantly all over either the road or the bike path and really giving bikers a bad name all around. Solid gripe. 
Very good. Solid grip. I agree too, because I'm trying to teach my son that he must wear his helmet. And it's just very annoying every time we pass an adult not wearing a helmet. And he points out to me, (laughs) this is an inconsistency in his training. Deidre, you'd be glad to know that. So I take the train into the city when I go into Toronto and always attached to my bag is my bike helmet for when I use the bike shares. So I'm with you. I used to commute in, carpool in a couple of years ago with somebody. She would have the same gripe about cyclists and she would call them a lawless individuals, <laughs> which I thought it's was so a, true. They're lawless <laughs> individuals. Um, I have a gripe as well. I'll go with my gripe uh, first. This is kind of related. It's a road-based gripe as well. <laughs> we have a trend. Uh, here's my gripe. Parking meters that require change only. Do those still exist? That's my... <laughs> Yeah, where did you find well, one? I of live those? in well, <laughs> you, oh, that, I live in Hamilton. And, right. and <laughs> downtown, you can only pay for your parking with change. Uh, and it's it's so it's it's very difficult because I am not a cash or, or change person. And uh, that that's great worthy, which which moves into my good, which is uh public music festivals and public art festivals. So the reason why I was trying to park is because uh, last night I went to night one of an event here called Super Crawl, which is an annual um, uh, public festival that celebrates arts in, in the uh, in the city. And uh, Broken Social Scene played, uh, and it was great. And I just love free public festivals where all different folks can come. Doesn't matter if what they can afford and still come see like world class uh, art and, and experience those sort of things. So I love public festivals. Good my good okay i have a good i don't actually have a grape i always mike and i joke i have a really hard time thinking of grapes it's it's against my uh mo in life um but my good this week is there's a lot going on politically (laughs) see i go i go right to the social issues um but watching all of this uh we're living in toronto uh i live in toronto Um, watching all of this outpouring of political support about something as obscure, which I think everyone would agree the notwithstanding clause in our charter is kind of obscure. Um, But there's a real sense of energy around politics, which I find very inspiring here in this country because uh, I follow it. I spend a lot of time on looking at what's going on in the political world. And um, that's been inspiring me and kind of firing me up this week thinking, wow, that thing that I learned in law school in 19, you know, whatever, 98, <laughs> just to date myself, um, it's it's relevant. It's so relevant. And the decision that was made so long ago is, is coming up now and we're all talking about it. So that's, that's one, I think that's a good, I think the, the reason for having all these discussions might be a gripe actually. Hey, there we go. It's a gripe. Yeah. <laughs> the impetus is the gripe. Um, And the other thing I would say, I'm going to take a good from this podcast that I'm going to make a little note to myself to keep in my, uh, my jar of amazing quotes, Um, invincibility belief, you said, Deidre, I think that is such an important idea. I've never heard that before, but I, it makes such sense. And yes, it makes perfect sense when you're jumping off of the uh, edge of a huge ski jump and doing a triple backflip, double spin jump. Um, but it also is helpful just generally, you know, you have a choice. You can be, um, you know, believe that everything is going to bring you down or, or the opposite. So thank you for that. That's a, a major good no heading into the weekend for us. Yeah. So I think that about does it. We're so appreciative, Deidre, for you hopping on. And you, uh, I think that 
you, you don't know it, but you said a lot of stuff that fits in with other episodes. And, and we'd, maybe we'd love to have you back because you're uh, you're perfect for this and frankly, way more qualified than I am. Uh, so thank you uh, and have a great you guys uh, Friday Thanks for having and weekend, me. Deidre. We appreciate it. Thanks so much. Okay, Darlene. Well, I guess we'll talk to you later. And thanks everybody for listening. That's it for this week's episode of the Lawyer Life Podcast. Thanks to Interalia Law for presenting the show and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our theme music. Join us next week for another episode. And if you like, please subscribe, rate, and review. It's very much appreciated. Talk soon!